Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We are going to jump into the conversation, but before we do, we're going to take a quick pause, hit the sponsors, and we'll be right back. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. Today, I am excited to have two guests from Panacea Financial. The first is Dr. Michael Jerkins, the president and co-founder, and then also Brandon Finazzo, which I'm probably mispronounced and we were just practicing before I started, who is the head of practice solutions. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here and excited to chat and learn a little bit more. Awesome. Well, thanks for having us. Can't wait to get talking. Yeah. Thanks, Isaiah. So I think the natural first starting point, and I know you guys have done a lot from a kind of brand awareness piece, but for those that maybe don't know who Panacea is, can you give us kind of a high level of what you all do? And then what I want to jump in from there is a little bit of the backstory, but Michael, do you want to take that one? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. So to put it simply, Panacea Financial is a nationwide bank for doctors that was built by doctors. And it's kind of hard to talk about what we do without talking about the backstory a little bit, but Basically, two of the three of our co-founding groups, so myself, who I still practice, uh, see patients, and another doctor, Dr. Ned Palmer, and I basically lived through a lot of financial frustrations ourselves, both in training and in practice. And it seemed like the people who should be trying to figure out a better way to do things should be people from within the community. And hence, we were built. Yeah. And you all kind of are very focused on basically serving your peers. So it kind of goes medical, dental, and, and vet med. And so what I noticed is I'd connected with Brandon, I don't know, like two years ago. We never really had chatted on LinkedIn. I was like, hey, Brandon, this has been far too long. Like I just wanted to connect. And it was really kind of great to then learn more of the story and some of the frustrations. But Michael, can you kind of walk through as you went through you know, medical school, going through residency, some of the things that you ran into that were the pain points that made you start thinking about the development of what Panacea would end up being. Absolutely. So let me just start off too by saying, you know, right now we do a banking for doctors. So what does that actually mean? It means we do personal loans for doctors and those in training. We do student loan refinance for those doctors and doctors in training. And then we also help them get into practice ownership. So any practice finance need that doctors need, 
we're there for them in all 50 states, along with, you know, your normal checking and savings accounts. And, you know, it's easy for me to say that now, but it took years and years for us to be able to get to where we are. So in medical school, one of the things I always think about, one of the highs of my life and one of the lows financially was when I had my first child and I was in medical school, which is a stressful time to have a child. And so we had a high deductible plan through my wife's small business that she worked for, $7,500, which I didn't have. So we had to find a way to pay for that $7,500. And only a few months later, we had to move across the country for my residency program. And thousands of people every single year move in training in medical dental and vet and are expected to do so without any money. And somehow we figure it out. So friends, families, credit cards, personal loans, just find a way to scrape by. And so then I start residency and I'm barely making ends meet. I'm not at home. And we had a car issue. Well, didn't have money to fix the car, but we had to have a car. I had to get to the hospital and didn't have a great way to find financing there. So I literally hopped on the phone and talked to multiple banks because I didn't want to use credit cards anymore. And I was told, and I'm a 30-year-old something resident and father, and I was told that I needed to get a co-signer to borrow around $5,000, which I thought was insane. Because literally that same day, I'm managing people that are critically ill in the ICU, and they trust me with that, but then they don't trust me at home with five grand, which seems pretty ridiculous. And really digging a little bit deeper, not being in banking at the time, I started to realize that banks in general have a very clear cut picture of what they think a good, quote unquote, good customer looks like. It's someone who already has money. It's someone who's made a lot of money already and had a strong work history. Someone who doesn't have a lot of debt. Well, guess what? If you're in training to be a doctor or early career doctor, you don't have any of those. And it's really frustrating because all of us on this podcast know that once you have money and you're a doctor, all the banks are going to come calling for you and they'll be your best friend. And everything. And it just seemed pretty ridiculous that there was no one to really help us specifically because of our location and all the sacrifices we made and what that means financially. So Ned and I, Ned Palmer, who was a resident with me and other co-founder, other physician co-founder, we post-call um, and residency would go to banks and pitch them our business plan that we had to get Panacea launched. And, you know, in fits and spurts over several years, it finally happened. We linked up with third co-founder, his name is Tyler Stafford, who was in investment banking for many years and also happened to be a former college roommate. So fast forward from then to now. So really based on this mission of trying to make financing more accessible for doctors, something that's built around our schedule and our financial life cycle, we now have roughly 3,000 customers across all 50 states and are able to help people move across the country and not have to beg their family for money or to buy into a practice in a way that makes sense for them financially and provide services after they're done seeing patients. Because I know you've probably experienced this too. You're done seeing patients. You try to call your bank. It's hard to get a hold of somebody. And for us, we have 24-7 live human beings that can actually answer the phone and understand your schedule and try to address concerns you have. So all those struggles we lived through really, you know, we're not that creative. We basically said, hey, this was annoying. Let's figure this out. Hey, this doesn't make sense. Let's come up with a solution. And then over time, it's built up to this suite of services that we now offer. And it's been really, really fun. That story just reminds me and makes me think of why I left big 
corporate finance under Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, right? Like who did we work with? The person that already had money, that was already getting ready to retire versus the people that needed advice and guidance. Like, oh, no, no, they have debt. Yeah, we don't want them. <laughs> it's like so bass backwards. And it's the same thing that you experienced too. It's like, I need some help today, right? I will be a really good customer of the bank, right? Or this or that, like, but you can't get what you need to get yourself there. It's the same thing that I always laugh about when jobs post, hey, we need three to five years of experience. And you're <laughs> supposed to have that as you come out from, and graduate. Yeah. And it's like, okay, good luck with that. That just doesn't make any logical sense. And the story of like, I'm tired of looking at trying to just go from credit card to credit card and go from this balance transfer to this one to like make ends meet. And then, hey, some distant point in the future when I start making it, right, I'll be able to pay this stuff off. And one of the things that caught my attention just looking through kind of the suite of what you all offer is that kind of PRN like loan. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I do think it's unique. And I think a lot of folks within Vet Med can look at that. And I just was talking to equine vets out in Seattle and so many of them talking about going to residency. It's like, I literally am making less than what it's costing me to live here. It's like, how do I float this? Exactly. So can you? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And that's actually the first product we started with because it was the lowest hanging fruit. And we built it really, think about my story. I told you about the car or even moving across the country. It's for that type of person that lived through that or what you just mentioned of being a resident and having a hard time, even just meeting several potentially unexpected costs. And so basically it's a personal loan that you can borrow up to $75,000 if you're in practice. If you're in residency, it's up to $30,000. If you're a fourth year student, it's up to 15. And the unique things we do that are different from a standard bank is that there is no minimum credit score to qualify for a PRN personal loan. There is absolutely no co-signer that we're gonna ask you to get to borrow an amount of money as long as you're a fourth year student in residency or in practice. So there's never a co-signer no minimum credit score. The other thing is we understand that cash flow is really difficult for someone making no money in their fourth year of vet school or medical school, or especially in residency as well. So the other unique thing in payments is for students, we don't actually require any payments for a whole year. Um, for residents or fellows, at least in the medical side, we offer interest-only payments while they're in training so that it can actually be feasible for them to be able to make payments on that. And that's really been still far and away probably our most popular product because it's such in high demand. The other thing I mentioned is we know that it's a lot of these uses for money are time sensitive. So we're funding these in as little as 24 hours. The application's all online. You can do it all all online. We fund those, you know, like I said, within in as little as 24 hours. And that also comes with a person that you actually know that you can text or call for questions, that is a real person that knows who you are. And that's the biggest thing that we hear about all the time is the frustrations dealing with a bank and you can't get a hold of someone who actually knows who you are or can answer your question. So every single customer, whether you're a vet student with just a checking account or you open up a PRN loan as a resident, you get a personal banker we call a primary care banker that you have access to can call, text, email, because it's nothing more frustrating than needing to do something, but having a weird work schedule like we do as doctors, and then everyone's already home for the day. So that was important for us to really have that relationship too. But the PRN is still our most popular product. And the other thing I'd say is our rates are fixed. They're only vary by term and they start at less than half a credit card. So we're not pricing these ridiculously. We're making them accessible 
and also fairly priced and a, a much better alternative to credit cards. Yeah, I love that. And anyone that's listening to the show knows that I am pro practice ownership. And I think for someone that's trying to build up their skill set and get ready to do that, sometimes it is going to residency and doing more training to then be able to hit the ground running. And so Brandon kind of moving into the practice solutions piece and, and thinking about the ability to say, okay, I'm going to go out and either hang my own shingle and do a startup, but also maybe I'm going to acquire. And I've had guests on that have talked about both, but I would love to kind of explore what it looks like if I'm looking to acquire and then also on the startup side, because you do do both. And I think that's important because there are some banks that you know really shy away from one or like the other one. And I think it's great that you all can kind of help support someone in either phase of what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons when I was uh, brought on was to kind of compliment what was going on, right? They're bringing on all these kind of younger doctors and, you know, what's the next step, right? They're in residency and they're looking to either buy or start and get into ownership. So we wanted to make sure we offered both products. So for us, we're happy to look at either or. Some of the things that separate us on the startup side is we're willing to go a little bit higher than some of the uh, the banks you're used to hearing about. And we kind of want to make it a common sense approach. We do have a dollar amount that we we cap at, but if there's a couple veterinarians that are opening a practice and they need a little bit more than maybe where our policy is at or what's considered the norm, we don't just immediately say no. We look at why they need that. And then we look at the supplemental income they're going to be earning working as associates to see if it makes sense. And we have countless examples of how we were able to help these veterinarians, doctors, dentists get into ownership with a what would be considered a, a much larger loan. So that's something that definitely separates us. On the acquisition side, we'd like to take a common sense approach with that as well. So you'll notice in the industry, a lot of banks cap at how much they're willing to lend. Well, if you have a practice that is valued really high for the right reasons, right? A lot of new equipment, margins are excellent, trends are excellent, it's in a very good neighborhood, fee for service, you know, all these things that will increase the value of a practice. We will look into that and understand it. And if that is the case, then we're happy to increase the amount we're going to lend, even if it's above what would be considered the norm, because it is worth more. And a lot of banks, again, they will cap at just a number that they've come up with. They like to call it a percentage of revenues and that's it. And that's not how we're going to look at it. We really want to understand the true value. And so if the practice creates enough cash flow to cover that size of a loan, even though it's larger, then we're still more than happy to do it. So I always say, look, if it's a really strong deal or a strong doctor, we can make sense of it to get it done. So we did want to make sure that we offered every avenue there is to ownership. And the third one that you didn't mention was what Mike had talked about earlier was a partner buy-in loan, right? That'd be kind of the third way besides starting one or buying one is buying a portion of one, which I personally love because you don't really change what's going on in the practice. The, the patients don't really see much other than somebody else coming there. So there's much less chance for patient attrition. And if somebody's buying, say, 10% of a practice, most of the time, the sellers don't want any sort of liens on the practice. That's very common. And traditionally, banks will want to put a lien on that practice as collateral. Well, we've created a policy where we can create a partner buy-in loan without putting a lien on that practice. Okay, it's essentially an unsecured business loan to help them get that small ownership. So I love this product because there's a massive need for it. 
And it makes a lot of sense. And it also, again, buying just a portion of a practice is really the most stable way to get into ownership. So these are very stable deals and loans that we're doing. So I love those. But yeah, we absolutely have all three and are pretty aggressive with them. Yeah. Which again, going back to Michael, your earlier comments, like once you're getting that income, right, and things are going well, all of a sudden banks will start to compete for your business. And it's like, well, didn't like you before, but then something changed and now it's there. Same way within lending. A lot of times there's a lot of different options out there and it's trying to figure out, okay, what's the best fit and what are you looking to do? And I think, yeah, to your point, Brandon, the buy-in piece is really, really helpful, especially right now within VetMed, it's really hard to go out and say, Hey, I'm going to go acquire hundred percent of this really well-run practice. You're probably not going to be able to pay the same premium that a consolidator would. But if it's really important for that, let's say senior vet or senior veterinary team to keep it privately owned, this is a great solution to help kind of build that transition plan and retain private practice ownership. And then the other area that I know that we've talked about as we got to know each other too, was the real estate piece. And I think that's an important part as well. And a lot of times people ask like, Hey, Isaiah, what do you think about real estate as an investment? I'm like, well, there's a lot of variables, but overall, if you buy it right, like it could be a really nice part of a longer term kind of investment portfolio. But the first place that to me makes the most sense is, hey, own the building that you're going to work out of. You know the tenant, hopefully they pay their bills, right? So that's good. Start there. And then <laughs> you can do some other things strategically from a tax perspective to have some advantages there. But can you talk a little bit about how real estate you know, factors into a deal? And I think it's important for people to understand usually those are two separate deals. I know sometimes that surprises people and it seems like, oh yeah, everyone knows that. But those typically aren't going to be, hey, I want to buy the building and the practice, you know, you're going to kind of run those as two separate, but I would love kind of feedback there and some best practices on, on yeah, your side. Sure. So if this is buying real estate when getting into ownership, I'll, I'll kind of walk you through how it's done. Traditionally, a lot of banks will ask to do that with an SBA loan. You know, we'll keep that conventional, which has a lot of benefits. And the way we'll look at it is just like you said, a separate loan. Most of the time, borrowers will create a separate entity to hold the real estate. So that's the entity that we'll lend to. So we'll have a real estate loan with one entity and a practice loan with another. The real estate loan is going to be for us 85% of the value. So if you're buying a practice or starting one, you should know that there's going to be a down payment. Whereas if you're leasing space or buying a practice with a lease, you can get 100% financing. In some cases, when you're buying a practice and the real estate, if there is more equity in the practice, we can finance the down payment or some of it. It really just depends on that situation. But I always say, be prepared for a down payment. 15% is pretty low when you compare other conventional options. SBA is 10%, and then most conventional options could be 20 to 25%. But they'll be looked at as two completely different loans. The real estate loan is generally amortized over 25 years. So amortized meaning payments are spread out over. And then the rate is usually fixed for a period of time. That could be five years, seven years, 10 years, 15 years is how long the, the fixed period is. It's tough to find a real estate loan where it's 25 years fixed, especially if it's conventional. And then on the practice side, you'll have that separate loan where you could have a seven, 10, or even a 15 year note. So you'll end up with two loans, one tied to the real estate, one tied to the practice. And that's kind of the picture you'll have. But the way they're underwritten is we will use the loan payment from the real estate in the cash flow to qualify, right? So if we're looking at a practice and we're looking at the financials, 
on the financials of the practice, you'll see a rent payment. So that'll be taken back out and added to the total net income. And then that net income will be used to debt service the real estate payment along with the practice payment. So hopefully that answers the question on getting into ownership. That's perfect. And then for those that maybe don't know, because I think there's this topic of conventional versus SBA. And I think sure. most veterinarians, they hear that and they're like, what's the difference? So yeah. without getting into every nook and cranny, like, can you give us like high level, what are the yeah, big differences totally. between conventional and SBA? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not necessarily biased towards one or the other. They're both great. And I do usually say, if you can't get a conventional loan, get an SBA loan. I say that with an asterisk because that's not always the case. The down payment would be the biggest difference. SBA is generally 10%. Sometimes they'll ask for more. Sometimes they can get it done with less. It really depends on the bank and how they're structuring it. Some of them can get really creative. But the down payment is usually the biggest difference. So 10% SBA is the most common. And then for us, it'd be 15% conventional, other lenders, 20, 25. So think of a larger down payment. The other big difference is SBA has a fee for the government. And that ranges from two and a half to three percent generally. And that's a fee that's usually financed in the loan. So it's not like you're coming out of pocket with more, although you could, but it's a hefty fee. So right on a million dollars, that could be a thirty thousand dollar fee. Some most conventional lenders are going to charge one percent or less. So for us, we will be maybe around a quarter of one percent, right? So a lot smaller on the fees. Conventional tends to be able to get done faster. SBA has quite a process, and it's not always the lender itself that creates this process. It's working with the SBA and the systems that they have to go through to get loans done. So anytime there's a time crunch, really look to try to do a conventional loan. We can get things done really, really fast. As fast as you can order appraisals, about as fast as we can approve and close a loan. So time is a big one. There are SBA lenders that can fix the loan for all 25 years, which is beneficial. So most conventional lenders won't fix it for 25 years, but there's some with SBA that can. So that's definitely a benefit. SBA has the ability to approve a lot higher amounts off of projections. So they, per their policy, are allowed to use projections and scenarios and take those projections at face value and the cash flow that's in the projections to then approve a loan. I just talked to a borrower today where she was not going to be able to get a conventional loan because of where her revenues were. But if she did projections with the relocation showing where she will be, an SBA loan would work for her. So that was a great solution. So there's lots of differences, but I think those are the biggest ones to consider. That's a great overview. And what I'm hearing is you're saying a program that's run through the government is going to take slightly longer. That seems mind blowing. I don't, I don't I know. It's so weird. That seems right? strange. I, I mean, know. every time I go to the DMV, it's like so quick. Yeah. That seems kind of odd. Anything else on the practice solution or real estate that maybe I haven't asked about that you feel like is just important for people to kind of understand? Because there are lots of, like you said, options, conventional SBA, yeah. different lenders. How do you evaluate a good partner to be like, okay, I want to go through this process with XYZ place and this is how I select it. Would you have any good advice to kind of help people narrow the field and say, how do you evaluate if someone or a company is a good lender to work with? Absolutely. First, I would say, ask some of your friends that have gone through the process and ask them if they know a banker that they highly recommend and then why. There's a lot of good bankers out there and there's a lot that aren't as 
good, if you will. I don't know how to put it, but it's really important to have a really, really, really good banker because if you do a loan that isn't the right loan for you and because of what you want to do in the future, it could be detrimental. So one of the biggest things I say is find a banker that has a lot of experience in this field specifically ask for references, ask the banker, Hey, do you mind if I talk to a couple other doctors that you've done a similar deal with in the past six months and get some references? Don't be afraid to ask for references. I think it's really important. And then one of the questions doctors don't ask enough is if you're looking to grow and open multiple practices, ask the banker how that works. When can I get my next loan to start or buy my next practice? How does that work? What do my numbers need to look like? Truly plan ahead. I mean, you can attest as a financial advisor, you're planning a long way ahead, right? For retirement. It's the same thing. If they go get a loan that has a massive prepayment penalty or even worse, they can't prepay it at all. There's no ability and they want to open another practice. If that lender doesn't have the wherewithal or you're growing too quick for that lender, then you're putting yourself in a position where you're stuck and you can't do anything because the next lender that you're going to try to work with needs to take out that loan for a lien. So a good banker will be able to explain how we do the loan now and how we do the loan in the future. And literally walk you through what your tax returns and financials should look like in the future in order to approve you. That's something that's not talked about enough. And I'm running into a lot of doctors who I wish had had that conversation because I'm unraveling some ugly terms that they have. So that's definitely a key is to really get a good banker who knows what they're doing. And if I could chime in real quick to try to answer that from a doctor's perspective, is and first of all we brandon and his group at practice solutions has just done a phenomenal job at keeping the doctor in the center of all of this and doing things that make sense for the doctor and we hope to help every single possible doctor that ever comes to us but sometimes that doesn't happen and you kind of heard brandon already talk about just giving good advice and even if it's not us Having the doctor understand what their situation is and giving them good advice is really at the key of what we do. We're a mission-driven company, and obviously we want every doctor to be a customer of ours, but that's not reality. But every doctor that we do interact with, we want to make sure we give sound advice and give quality time to, to lead them in the right direction, even if it's not us. And so that's one thing that I think is important for us as a culture of a company and that's what doctors frankly want. That's why we designed it this way, because we are doctors. And the other thing, too, I think it's important is, and I didn't really understand this, and I would love to have Brandon talk about it a little bit more, is once we get that doctor that comes to us, they need a loan for their practice, the relationship doesn't end there. And our ability to help their practice with deposits and just the ongoing relationship is a very robust and it's very different from what a lot of doctors tell us and a lot of my friends have dealt with, which is kind of a churn and burn. Like I had a salesperson and they got me the loan. I never heard from them again. I don't even know where they are. Maybe they left the country. I'm not sure. But I'm joking there. But it's like, what is this relationship like afterwards? Because that's a huge decision a doctor just made. They want to make sure someone's actually there to support them through it. So maybe, I don't know, Brandon, you could talk a little bit about that, how we support the doctors even after. Yeah, absolutely. Just one thing I want to touch on about the whole bank thing I mentioned is a lot of doctors will look at a loan like a commodity, right? They'll go, they'll look for the rate, they'll, they'll 
see it's a perfect loan, low rate, exactly what they want. We'll just have the banker push through, get that loan done without really asking all these questions because the doctor thinks they know better. Okay. And look, they're very smart, right? But you don't know what you don't know. And so this is where I found people to learn the hard way. The other person I was talking about had five different loans with different banks and was just in an awful position, not to mention was probably breaking covenants about not getting loans with other lenders. So don't just use the banker as a person to process a loan like a commodity, because that's where you'll find yourself in a tough position. But to answer Michael's question about you know, how we want to do ongoing support, we have relationship managers that work here to support our customers as they grow when they need things. Again, he talked about the 24-7 support. I mean, calling somebody at 7 p.m. on a Sunday or 1 a.m. on a Sunday to ask questions about their account. I mean, that's second to none. And that was built because of doctor's hours, right? Work weird hours, which that in itself is just a huge testament to us trying to say we're there for them. And then if they come back or need anything or they're growing and just need maybe a small piece of equipment or a little bit of working capital, we've created products that are approved in one or two days for that piece of equipment up to $250,000 or $100,000 of working capital to do a marketing plan or whatnot. But we really want to be there to kind of help and support their growth along with all of the advice we're giving. And then not to mention, you know, we kind of talk about both sides, right? That's why we have the personal loans and the commercial loans. So if they need help with the student loans, we're working with them on the commercial side. Or if they're a personal customer who had a PRN loan and maybe some student loans, we talk to them about if they are looking to get into ownership. And then we set up a call with one of our commercial bankers and educate them on how to prepare for ownership, right? Most doctors should take a year or two after they finish to work and start to prepare and get that financial statement in the right place so that when it's time to apply, they're in a good position. So we really want to educate them on what they can do now so that they can come back to us in a year or two and get approved the way they want. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The other thing that you all do that's been really interesting to see, and I'll be curious, Michael, and I might ask a question like, where does the yield come from, right? But like just the kind of like checking account for just on the personal side kind of blew me away the first time I saw it where it's not, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's not a teaser rate, but it paying 3%, that's kind of crazy out there to see that. <laughs> Yeah. Again, inflation's still a little bit higher than that, but I'm not seeing anyone paying 3%, which yeah. is pretty wild. Yeah. So we have our checking accounts, which are completely free. There's no ATM fees. The ATM fees actually get refunded at the end of the month all across the country. And then, like you mentioned, our savings account uh, is at 3% right now. And it is not a teaser rate. In fact, last I looked, it was 18 times the national average uh, for savings accounts. And the important part there is also... How much money do you have to deposit to even get that 3% if it was at a different bank? For us, it's the first dollar. So there's no minimum that you have to deposit into your account to access that great rate. Yeah, another thing too is we wanted to make it accessible to everyone. So it's not just for doctors, but for anyone who needs a great savings account, we have that. You can open it up in a couple of minutes with 25 bucks is the minimum amount to open it. But you get that 3%, enjoy that for your first dollars of even entering the account. So for us, again, it was like taking this mission of trying to make things better for a community. And we did it on the loan side, we do it on the customer service side. And I think you're starting to see us do more and more on the deposit and banking side on the traditional sense. And I should mention too, it, we have a mobile banking app, we have online banking app. So it should fit what everyone's used to for their online banking. It's just 
better rate investor, better customer service. Sure. Commercial too. Great point. In, yep. Interesting. Yeah. That's a really good point. So typically you're going to see higher cash balances. I see this all the time on the business side. Like, hey, I need to kind of have my emergency fund in the business. Well, hey, that's typically a heck of a lot higher than on the personal side. So you think about the dollars and cents over time and over years where it's earning nothing with that. So for the person that is in a community, do you have like relationships set up with other banks that they could deposit if they had cash? I know not a lot of people are using as much cash now, but can you talk a little bit about that? I know it's kind of a random question, but it's just one that popped up. Like if I'm in name a rural Texas town, I'm a vet clinic and how do I deposit this cash? Cause there's no panacea brick and mortar uh, location around the corner for me. Yeah. So Right now, what we're doing is we're working with our customers to work with a local brick and mortar bank that's nearby, nearby their office that they will use for cash. There are some solutions that we've put together in Virginia with our parent bank, and they're running with that right now and kind of piloting it, if you will. So, you know, we can't go into the details of exactly what that is. But right now, what our commercial customers are doing, they're just simply using a local small town bank and taking their cash in there. And we have free wires and free ACH. So, you know, if they need to send it over weekly or biweekly or monthly, we're not going to charge them for an incoming wire. The other bank may have something, but that's primarily what they're doing because, yeah, we do not have branches uh, nationwide, but we are lending and helping these practices uh, get off the ground nationwide. Sure. I thought you were going to drop an exclusive there and, and give me the insight. But I got to hold that one till it's official. Um, cool. That's right. No, I, I appreciate that. If you had to think about, are there any areas, and again, this is me not knowing necessarily, but is there any areas when you think about the product suite or, or what you like to build out that, that maybe is something you want to do in the future? Do you feel like, hey, we kind of have what we want to build at the moment? And this is to either of you and when you think about it, because it seems like you can just be the associate and still access a lot of really good things from a banking partner that you would want. And then if I do decide... Maybe I want to be an owner or maybe I'm just going to do my own like kind of mobile clinic or something smaller. It still all works. Equipment loans, like working capital. That seems like there's a lot of solutions for kind of wherever someone's at. But is there anything where you, and Michael, I guess I'll ask this because you have the co-founder in the name, like what's next or is there anything you're working on? You're like, I would love to get us to here or make any changes going forward. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great question. And I think our history has shown that what we've done is we, if there's a demand for it, we try to meet that demand. So like I mentioned, we started with the PRN loan. And actually, it originally was just for the medical side. And we had tons of dentists and vets approaching us, so we expanded. Then we had tons of people asking about student loan refinance. We added that. Then we had lots of people asking about practice finance. We added that. And right now, using that same logic, the thing that we get asked the most about is mortgage, residential mortgage. And there's a lot of issues surrounding that that are similar to what I described, especially early in your career, where you might not have enough money for a great down payment and just accessing a good residential mortgage right outside of training or in the beginning stages of practice. So what we're trying to work on now is a good solution for those borrowers. And I think that, again, per week, we have tons of our current customers. We're not advertising for this. We're not even talking about it. That ask us, hey, do you guys do mortgage, please? I'm having a hard time finding this. And obviously, you have rates going up and the markets for residential mortgage is completely changing than it was 18 months ago. However, for doctors, it's a little bit different. I think that doctors are less rate sensitive and more structure sensitive. They want home ownership. A lot of folks have seen all of their friends 
that are the same age have a house for the last 10 years. They've been bouncing around training, not been able to afford a house. They want to get into home ownership. And for some that, that really want to, and that's the best financial choice for them, they should have a fair and accessible opportunity at that, just like they should have a fair and accessible opportunity for practice ownership and to just make ends meet with the personal loan. So taking that same mission that we have and applying it to mortgage is really, I think, one of the biggest things in the next phase. So yeah, perfect. That's interesting. And it makes sense from the mortgage side that there's going to be all these people that are going to want that. So why not offer it? Seems like a natural fit. What haven't I asked about that is interesting or you want to share a little bit? And this can be either of you. Something that's either exciting, interesting, something you you feel like is worth uh, worth sharing. I'm always happy to jump in there and, and share something and plug. I love that we have some unique products that are different from the market. And so there's one other one that I, I did want to talk about a little bit. This goes back to commercial real estate. So if you're going to get an SBA loan, you need to occupy 51% of it. And if you're going to get an owner conventional loan, you need to occupy 51% of it. Most people will, or most lenders will uh, deem it investor if it's under 50% occupancy. Well, we took another stance to this also, because I think you can agree if McDonald's and Starbucks are your tenants and you occupy 40% of that building, that's probably a good building to buy, right? Maybe you have two 15-year triple net leases. I mean, personally, I would love to have those two as tenants, but some lenders look at that in a different light and will give unfavorable terms. We're not going to do that. We're going to underwrite it in the same way we would as if they occupied the whole building or 51% or whatever you want to call it, because we think that having A-grade tenants is a positive thing, right? I think a lot of people who have retired very wealthy have investment commercial real estate. I think that's something easy to say. So if we can help our customers get real estate that they occupy a portion of it and then have excellent tenants too, maybe those tenants are paying enough to cover the whole thing. So we're not going to change the terms if they occupy under 50%. And I think that's pretty unique. I would agree. I mean, I'll take uh, Starbucks and McDonald's as anchor tenants and I'll cash their checks. So that works. Absolutely. I like it. And um, I think that speaks again, just like, Coming as an outsider, as an organization into banking, just looking at things with a fresh view and stuff, a lot of stuff just makes no sense. It just makes no sense why banks have done the same thing forever and ever. They never change because they still make money. They're going to be fine, right? But that doesn't do a lot for the customers that need something different. And so like what Brandon just describes, described makes way more sense. And most banks are doing it just because they haven't. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't help people. So really taking that motto to all of our the things that we do, I think it just, especially when I describe panacea to people, they're like, why, why hasn't anyone else done this? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously happy that they did it <laughs> so that we could, but it makes no sense why this doesn't exist. And so Brandon said it multiple times, common sense approach, common sense approach, being able to yeah. look at a doctor situation and use some common sense, see what we can do. And if we can't do anything, make sure we actually work with them, explain why and put them on the right path. Like that's yeah. just doing the right thing. And so as a company, we focus on that, just doing the right thing. And as a mission-driven company, that's pivotal and, and really the crux of why we're here anyway. So I could talk yeah, about that for the next hour, but it's why we're around. Sure. When I would decline some people at my previous lives, I would uh, sometimes not have a good answer. 
The answer would be because that's policy and every bank has policy. Here, we have it set up to where we should be able to explain it well enough so that when we decline them, they, you know, essentially agree or at least see why and can nod, whether they dislike it because maybe they're bummed out, but they should at least see and it should make sense to them, right? We want to bring it down to where they understand it. And then also, like Mike said, put them on a path to how do we get that fixed? How can they get approved in the future? And what does that look like? The same story I was talking about today, I literally walked her through how conventional lenders will underwrite off of historical data. And this is why we can't lend X for what you're looking to do and showed her the numbers and she totally understood and then said, this is how like an SBA loan would be able to do it and how you could get approved. And here's what it would need to look like. And she was super thankful and said she would continue to refer people our way, even though I just declined her on the phone. So that's how it should be, right? You're still trying to help somebody at the end of the day. It's just having them understand like your numbers need to look a certain way for certain lenders to do it the right way. So yeah. And thanks, Brandon, also for giving me the title of the podcast episode. So it makes it easy. Like typically when I hear stuff throughout the interview, I'll kind of jot it down. And uh, yeah, the common sense approach. It's like, yeah, I think that sucks. That sticks. I, I like it. that. I'll work with I it. I love it. As we close, I always ask guests. And so this can come from both one, whoever wants to take it. I always ask, like, I've been here firing questions your way. Do you have any questions for me? Anything you want to throw back my way and ask? I have one. Go for it. You talk to vets all over the country. What do you see as the thing they're struggling with financially the most right now in this current market? I still think for most... I hate the financial answer. Like it depends, right? Like that's such a crappy, like cop out, like answer, not answer. But so like if it's owners, it is 100% on the financial side of getting good staff and team members of being able to keep and retain talent because they have the opportunity to grow. And sometimes they like literally can't. And when you see corporate practices paying a signing bonus of $200,000, like I can't compete with that. And I keep trying to explain to people, like you don't have to play that game. There's a reason why they're dangling this giant carrot out there right? If you have to pay someone that much from a signing bonus to come stay and then, you know, kind of give them the golden handcuff, explain to them why you're different and what you can do outside of that. So I think from an ownership perspective, it is absolutely the team and it's not always DVM. It could be text. It could be front desk. And then from an associate standpoint, I mean, times are attractive right now where people are literally fighting over you and you can kind of write your ticket of where you want to go and how you want to work and operate. But still, like if you look at your human health peers, the pay is still not the same and not as high. That's okay. And I think one of the things that I love and respect the most about veterinarians, they know that they're not going in there saying, I'm going to make the most as a human health you know, surgeon or something, right? Like they know that going in, but there's still the real world demands of, I still went to school. I still have the student loan debt. I have cash flow that I need to accomplish and pay for things. And I want to live a life that kind of rewards all this effort I've put in. And I think sometimes that is just the biggest hang up is people wanting to minimize and pay down debt faster than what they really should. In my personal opinion, right? I don't view fixed rate debt as being this thing that is detrimental to long-term success. And I think for a lot of people, maybe they're raised in a Dave Ramsey household. Maybe they were told debt is evil. They got to get rid of it right away versus looking at it and saying, Hey, it's an expense. It's an investment in myself. I can go and build, save, have assets, do things that can be positive and not have to like wait to live life. And so I think that's probably the biggest struggle is to reframe that in their mind as far as thinking like, oh, I have to do this before I can go do this other thing. And especially for people who have already deferred a lot of major life events because of the path they took. Yeah, that's tough. 
I mean, I can say this, it's not my podcast, so it's kind of weird for me saying this, but thank you for telling folks that and helping our community because it's, it is hard, man. It's hard to find trusted advisors that talk to doctors and feel like it's not predatory, but just that spiel that you just said, I mean, at the heart of it really is just trying to do the right thing for doctors. And I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I mean, talking about life decisions and again, a lot of that met is it's a majority women at the moment and having those conversations like, Hey, I can't have kids or have to wait to have kids. And someone the other day said they weren't able to hire the practice managers they wanted because someone said, it's like, Oh, you're going to start up and then you're gonna have kids. And I was like, that is so rude. This was someone that she knew pretty well. And it was like, wow, the fact that they don't want to work for someone else because it's a startup and there's this risk, but then the risk of her going and wanting to have a family too. So there are those things and it is a challenge. And again, I've not dealt with that, but I've seen my wife go through having two kids and it's not easy. Right. And so there are challenges. And I think I have a ton of respect for anyone that's had a family and started a business. Like it's not easy. And so, yeah, that's just a whole nother tangent there. But Brandon, any questions on your end before I get us uh, completely sidetracked? Yeah, I was, I was curious, you know, with the rate rising environment, have you heard or from any of your customers that have said things like, well, you know, I'm going to wait to do what I'm going to do, whether that be build or anything on expanding growth because of interest rates? Have you kind of heard any conversations from your customers about, hey, I'm just going to take it easy and see what happens? Or do you still see the we're pushing through, I'm okay with a couple 3% higher rates. May, they may get into the eights for a commercial, right? You know, what are you hearing? I'd love to hear from yeah. a third party. I'm sure a lot of banks would like to know, but. Sure. Um, what I'm hearing is full speed ahead. We need the space or I'm going to lose team members if I don't get this remodel done because our space yep. sucks or, hey, my lease is up at a certain time and I don't want to renew here. I need to make that decision. And it's kind of like come hell or high water. I have to make the decision. The nice thing has been, right? Veterinary medicine is having a really good time, like profitability, revenue wise, not everyone, right? There are situations that have been hard, but for the most part, there's a lot of pricing power and it's just trying to find reasonable, especially in some major metropolitan areas. I can think of one right now that's sticking out like very, very vividly in my mind from a conversation recently. It's just so darn expensive. I mean, it is just ridiculous to see some of the rates that they're having to pay for a very small space, but there's nothing else. And so part of me wants to encourage, like, I do think that there's some storm clouds out there and there's some things where there might be other businesses that will struggle. I don't think it's vet med. And so I think there might be some openings in some real estate that right now it feels like there's not a lot of options. I don't like to be the doomsday guy, right? But it's like, I think there could be some opportunities for more spaces, especially in those competitive areas. If you look out into Q1, Q2 of next year, especially with people and their businesses, because so many businesses survive on revolving lines of credit. And as those revolving lines of credit reset at a higher rate, all of a sudden it's not sustainable and that sucks. And that's not like a cheer for that. So you can find a space, but I think there's some reality that may set in, but everyone I'm talking to, it's still full speed ahead. We need to get this stuff done like on the vet med side. So it's been, I guess, a positive from a banking perspective because they still want all those things and the rates haven't really slowed it. Good. Okay. I guess from here, was there anywhere that you would recommend sending people follow-up connections if they have questions? I'm assuming the website, but is there anywhere else that you're putting out content, doing anything that they should be following along with? Yeah. I mean, I think so for us, I think if not only our website, our social media, we have a lot of great content on there, pretty much every single major platform. We have a pretty good blog too, with a lot of resources that people find very helpful. But I mean, again, we're very much a relationship-driven company. So the personal touch is what we prefer. So if there are people who have questions, they can email me 
at michael.jerkins at fantasyfinancial.com or brandon at brandon.finanza at fantasyfinancial.com. Yeah. That's really the way. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, if they hit contact us and mention our names, it'll, we'll easily get that too. So perfect. I'll link to all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for the time. Great to finally be able to get this done and um, appreciate the insights. I know a lot of people will have some good takeaways and again, being pro practice ownership in veterinary medicine is a big, big thing for me. So it's great to highlight folks that can help them with that. So thank you. Awesome. This is really great, man. Thanks. you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Isaiah. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.